Uh, I was born in a small town called Masjid Suleiman in southern Iran. I born in Syria. I was born in Hamburg, Germany. I was born in Congo. I was born in Tanzania in a refugee camp. I was born in Singapore. Guatemala City. I'm from Ireland. I was born in Thailand refugee camp. I was camp. born in Mumbai. India. I was born in Vientiane. Laos. I was born in England. I was born in Costa Rica. Welcome to Many Roads to Hear, bringing the voices of immigrants, refugees, and asylum seekers to a national conversation about migration and identity. I'm your host, Caitlin Dwyer. Today, we hear the voice of Jenny Munizero. Much of what happened when she left Burundi is still a mystery. Until she came to the U.S., there was a lot she didn't know about herself. But one thing she now knows is she wants to return to Burundi to give hope to kids like her. going well for Jenny Monazero in Portland, Oregon. She finally had a job she liked as an accountant, and she was engaged to a man from Burundi. As they worked out their wedding plans, Jenny's father and her fiancé's family discussed her dowry. Monazero didn't know much about the dowry process. In fact, she didn't know much about the customs of Burundi, the country where she was born. I'm Deegan Larkin, and this is Jenny's story. We begin with the marriage negotiations. The man sends his people, uh-huh. uh, like uh, elders, uh-huh. to talk to my father's elders about dowry. They go back and forth until they agree. And then uh, once they agree, and we throw a big party, the liberation. For me, I'm still trying to figure out that, what that is because I grew up in a refugee camp, not in Burundi, so... Even though we spoke Burundi, we had those traditions, the Burundian traditions, it's not like I knew all the waggles between when people get married. I didn't know. I learned through when it was happening to me. The dowry was not the first time Jenny would have to fill in the blanks about her life. Two months after she was born, the second genocide since Burundi's independence in 1962 began. It was October 1993 and thousands of Tutsi were being killed by the Hutu majority. Jenny's father is Hutu, her mother a Tutsi. The family, split by war and genocide, scattered, and Jenny, an infant, was left behind. My dad knew he was in trouble, so he had to get out of the country. He got out of the country without my mom or me. At that time, my dad had fled the country to Tanzania, a neighboring country, and... Um, when the Hutus came in the house, they killed everybody that were in that house. Like because my, my dad was actually kind of a big deal there. He was like um, a, a minister. So because the Hutus were killing Tutsis, so my mom also knew she was in trouble. So she had to get out, and then they left me by myself. My mom didn't know where I was. My dad didn't know where I, where I was. So they killed everybody that were living in that house, including the maids, um, people that worked for him. Personally, they didn't get to me. To this day, nobody knows exactly why I wasn't killed. A neighbor found me in that house by myself. Actually, she was 
hiding and she she heard me cry and then because she was my neighbor she knew that my mom had just had a baby so she took me and then she took care of me uh, herself she didn't know what to do with me because she she never had a child she was not even married yet uh so she didn't know what to do but all she could feed me was like some goat milk or whatever she could find i was literally like two months her father was the first to reach safety in tanzania when he got to the refugee camp, I guess that's when he remembered that he has a family. <laughs> um, but when he got to the refugee camp, uh, he tried to ask people, uh, hey, uh, have you seen my wife, my kid? And because the country was like a war zone, nobody knew. Nobody knew where I was or the wife was. It was a chaos. And then a few months later, he kept writing letters to people who, to whoever would always willing to go back, uh, you know, sending back with money, like, I'm going to pay you this amount of money if you can go back and, and locate my family. Some people would do it. Some people would go back and try to find his wife because some people knew who he, who he was. And when he came, three months passed by and he didn't hear anything, but he didn't give up. He kept writing and writing. And... Later on, some miracle happened. A neighbor who knew my dad knew where, where I was, but he didn't know where my mom was. The neighbor made his way to Jenny on foot with her father's letter in hand. Baby Jenny was passed from one neighbor to another and carried safely back to her dad. Two of the three Monazeros were finally reunited, but they weren't in Burundi anymore. They weren't even living in a house. Father and daughter began life away from home. Obviously, my dad, even in the refugee camp, his life was a mess. My dad was living in a tent uh, with little food and and just, like, things to survive. And as time goes, my dad became so stressful to a point where he was like, I don't know what to do with this child, almost gave up on me. It was a burden to him. He almost just... I handed, them, handed me to somebody else or just, like, let me just die. But he couldn't do it. If your parent will always be a parent. He couldn't do it. Eventually, my mom found my dad. They reunited, made another baby, which is my sister. And right after giving, a day after giving my birth to my sister, my mom died in a camp. So now my dad is, again, back to square one. It all happened so fast because he went from having a family. He had just started a family because he just married. Before the, the war started, he had just married my mom. So he was in that state of like, okay, my life just, is just beginning. He, he became so depressed, so depressed uh, to where he actually almost committed suicide because going back... 1972, there was another war similar to what just happened in 1993, which he witnessed his dad 
being killed right in front of him. And then he grew up in a refugee camp himself with his mom. And uh, he witnessed how his mom struggled so much, uh, how his mom gave up some of her kids so to be able to survive. So to him, it was like, what is life? Why, why do I keep going through this? father did what he always did. He made it work. Refugees were not allowed to own businesses or support themselves. But Jenny's father did both. He networked with the Tanzanians to establish his own business and hire workers. He gained status and popularity in the community and soon found a new love, his current wife. Obviously, it's the only woman I grew up seeing in the house, so she's my mom. I don't like the word stepmom. She came in, she didn't have any kids of her own. She was uh, still a, a young girl, and uh, she took care of us as of her own. She raised us. She did so much for us. My earliest memory of refugee camp was full of fun. Uh, we were probably the happiest kids uh, you will ever see. <laughs> I remember just living the pretend kind of life uh, where you just, you're kids and you build these things, you build toys, your own toys, and you you make your own, you know, dodgeballs or those, those, those little things how you build your houses out of the mud and you're living that pretend life, but you make the best out of it. And with your friends, um, I remember I would go play instead of doing house chores, you know, such as fetching water, cooking and that kind of stuff. We were living a carefree life until it gets a night. So when it gets a night, you are living in fear because you don't know what anything could happen. I remember when I was about about eight years old, what my dad was doing, you know, kind of his business and stuff. Uh, we would always get like uh, threats. They call them wajambazi, uh, which is like uh, thieves. I remember when my, my mom, when I was around eight, ten years old, uh, they came robbers and then they beat my mom up. My mom was about seven months pregnant and my mom was like, I don't have any money. She begged for her life. She begged for her kid's life. She's like, if you just, if you can't, if you don't believe that I don't have money, then it's better that you kill me right now. But do not harm my kids. Yeah. Don't do anything to my kids. And then I remember we were so young to a point we were we didn't know what was happening. We didn't know that we were in trouble or anything. But we were absolutely terrified. We were scared, like really scared. Jenny was young, and these were bad guys. Not storybook monsters or ghosts hiding in the closet, but real-life bad guys. Brandishing guns, breaking into her home. So, like any kid, Jenny began to imagine. In the refugee camp, when airplanes go past by, like, above, above us, we were just, like sit down and just like oh, there are people in there like just 
we would just use our imagination, like, oh my God, I wonder if he, you know what, what what's going on up there, like how people like how people are not scared. Why like we wanted to be on that plane. In 2007, when Jenny was 14, her family boarded that plane to America. The refugee camp in Tanzania was closing. Jenny's father had been applying to countries for refugee status for years with no luck, until the U.S. accepted their application. They were off to the States, barreling toward the unknown. I think, I don't know if it was like uh, turbulence. It can't be uh, turbulence because everybody tells this story. It was like that ride from Tanzania to Kenya, it was bad because the plane will go up and down. We're like, okay, we're done. We are dying. And then we told, I remember telling my dad, I was like, I don't care about this America. Let's go. here July 2nd and July 4th it was independence and the fireworks went off literally all night we were all under the bed hiding because we thought they're attacking the United States my mom was terrified my dad was terrified we all hid under the bed we stayed terrified the whole night it was so bad it was so so bad after the first tough days in New York Jenny's family arrived in Portland where Martha, a sponsor from the Lutheran Church, briefly sheltered them in her home and helped them find an apartment. This time, the days were hard, the nights were safe. So I remember when we first got here, she, she was so frustrated because one, we couldn't communicate with her. My father could speak English, but it wasn't like the American English. She would get frustrated. Breakfast, here you eat cereal and milk. We would just look at her like, what? We were like, what is this? So she will get even more frustrated because she doesn't know what to feed us. And for lunch, so she will cook like pasta, but putting so much tomato sauce. We're like, oh my God, nobody's eating this. So we literally, we starved. We starved because she didn't know what to feed us. The only thing she could give us for us to like have a little connection from where we just came from and where we are was candies. So she would just buy a bunch of candy. It was very hard. First of all, I didn't have friends. I'm here at school by myself, nobody. But uh, this time I didn't slack like back home. I actually took it very serious because one... For me, it was, there was no other way to survive. I had to speak English. Like, if I turn to the left, to the right, no, now nobody speaks my, my language. Now it's, it's a survival. I have to survive. I have to communicate. I have to talk. I have to express my, my feeling. I, I had to learn the basics, you know? Where's the bathroom? Can I have some water? And then on top of that, what my dad always told us was, focus, 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 focus. This is the only opportunity in this country. So you got to pay attention in school. You have to pay attention in class. You have to graduate. The family lived off the money Jenny's father made with his refugee camp businesses. He was the first to find a job, and Jenny dug in and worked hard in school. 
but after graduating, her family was struggling financially, and she took a job to bring in cash. She found herself at a crossroads. Did she work so hard to just be stuck in any old job, or was she going to take a risk and fight for a better life yet again? My parents weren't, weren't doing good, you know, economically. So I went to work for a year. I worked at this one company. They made, uh, like, medical stuff. It was minimum wage. I, I really didn't want to go to work because my plan was to go straight to college. But after high school, I realized that I don't even know how to apply for school. I don't even know where to go, who to ask. And then my parents were like, oh, we need your help. In the back of my mind, I knew I was going to go back to school one way or the other. Like, I really, really didn't want to leave the life that I was living. Because my dad's background with the business, the way I saw him do his businesses, literally out of nowhere, started from nothing. It really motivated me to do something in business. And I really loved it. I enjoyed it. And I went from there. Eventually, Jenny went to college and earned a degree in accounting. It's challenging, which is good, because it challenges my mind. I discovered that I'm a smart woman. She found a new love who would strengthen her connection to a country she left long ago. We met at his cousin's party. It was a housewarming party. He, his cousin has just got uh, a house. The funny part was I didn't want to go to the party, and he didn't want to come to the party. And then I was just minding my own business, chatting with my friends, talking. And for some reason, I was like, oh, who's that DJ guy? I knew what I wanted in a man, and he knew what he wanted. And we both found, we found what we were looking for in each other. I'm very happy. I'm very, very happy. I'm very excited. There is tomorrow. There's hope for everybody. You can plan as much as you want in life, but God has always his own way. Looking back where I came from to where I'm at today, it's beyond my imagination. It's beyond what my father has imagined. The situation you're in today does not mean it's the same situation you're going to be in tomorrow. As, as long as you keep fighting, as long as you stay believing, as long as you don't give up hope, there's, there's a tomorrow. And tomorrow is brighter than today. Building a career and family in the U.S. would perhaps be enough for most who have survived a genocide. But there is a tug in Jenny she can't ignore. something back in Burundi. My goal is I would like to build a hotel or a school. I, I don't just want to contribute to something that's already there. I want to start from the ground up. So a school is one of them and a, a, a hotel where tourists can go and relax. But I also not want to start a nonprofit organization, which my fiance already doing right now. Every year he goes back, takes school supplies to students. So I would like to either join him or 
If not, I would like to work with women, educate women on how to, you know how women we go through our cycles. I would like to educate them how to take care of themselves, provide the products to them. I also see myself with a child or two. I want to adopt a child from Burundi because I feel like in Burundi especially, there is not one generation in a long time that has not gone through a war. And I feel like Burundian kids have lost hope, most of them. So I just want to give one child a future or, you know, hope. I would like to give them what I have received. So that's my dream. I feel like Burundi, we, we just have been through so much that we need to restore that country. And there is no other generation that can do that besides my generation and the next generation. Many Roads to Here is a production of The Immigrant Story, a nonprofit based in Portland, Oregon. This episode was written by Deegan Larkin and Fran Silverman. Our audio editing was done by Rick March. The original interview was conducted by Juliana Robidoux in 2019. Corey Larkin composed our music. Our executive producer is the extremely organized Senka Raman. <laughs>